on this episode of the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. Like even me growing up like in high school and those sorts of things, like as soon as I'd start talking about it, like my friends would make racist jokes like. Oh, 100%. Um, it's like in microseconds. So racist. Like yeah. It's and so then, fast that it comes out. And then like you're kind of saying, like I had no indigenous role models in veterinary medicine. We didn't even have a veterinarian in my town, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. This is the Wild Rose Vet Podcast with Dr. Savannah Howes-Smith. All right. So today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit, I don't want to say out of my wheelhouse, but it's not my my uh, area of expertise. And it's talking about um, the process of discovering and embracing a cultural heritage uh, over time, especially as an adult, as opposed to being um, born and raised into it. And that's one of the things that I think is fantastic about having Dale uh, working at our practice is uh, having, I hate to say it, but easy access (laughs) to a cultural (laughs) touch point. (laughs) So um, it's... uh, it's really been a focal point of this whole documentary style project has been uh, showing kind of how how one goes about reconnecting with something that uh, has been lost, right? Um, with uh, how do you reconnect with an identity or a cultural group that... Um, it's just so it's 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 even difficult for me to put into words. It's hard. <laughs> um, it's 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 been an interesting process trying to figure out as an adult where you fit into the cultural fabric of certain cultural groups that I may or may not have a claim to, and it's been really. <laughs> I can hear Dale laughing at me. Uh, We were just talking about this yesterday at work, too, about Mm -hmm. the concept of imposter syndrome. And in the context of veterinary medicine, um, imposter syndrome is quite common, where people will graduate and feel like they are inadequate and they don't know how they got where they are and uh, that they don't deserve the title of doctor of veterinary medicine and that they don't know anything, when in reality the opposite is true. And I was trying to explain to Dale that the imposter syndrome that I have doesn't apply to veterinary medicine, but it applies instead to um, claiming a connection to an Indigenous group in the country. I think Métis identity specifically is really tricky in Canada because, like... Métis youth are the largest growing population of um, Indigenous groups right now, and it's because lots of people are discovering their identity or getting cards or that sort of thing. So it's it's hugely, hugely prevalent in our in our community of having this new population of people and then trying to um, teach them about themselves. Because I think I think that lots of Indigenous youth struggle with identity uh, specifically like um what we're talking about today like metis youth and metis people struggle with that because they know that they're indigenous of some sort growing up um because of relations and that sort of thing and they don't really know what that means um i i think it's tricky too because indigenous people are highly discriminated against in canada and lots of metis people had the option to opt out of that group at some point Mm -hmm. um Mm And lots of people took advantage of that. Um, not saying anything good or bad about that, but 
it, it's what people did to survive and prosper and that sort of thing. And now people are trying to reconnect as we're learning that it's more accepted um, and you should be proud of who you are. Right. And those sorts of things. So I think that's the, that's the issue um, that we're kind of talking about. Like, when did you first kind of start investigating your identity more Savannah? Um, well, it's one of those things where you always knew it was a thing. You just didn't have, um, all the paperwork to show it. And so the paperwork, my aunt put it all together and uh, I applied for the M&A citizenship when I was about early 20s. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's really something it's uh, <laughs> it was really it was really early 20s is when I mm-hmm. uh, started to think about it, but didn't really pursue anything too intense about it until after I graduated veterinary school because, you know, vet school kind of just consumes everything. Right. Yeah. And one of the main reasons I actually started volunteering with the Alberta it was then called the Alberta Spay-Neuter Task Force, was that I felt like because I had occupied an Indigenous seat, I had an obligation to contribute to Indigenous communities um, to pay back uh, the benefits that I had reaped. And so the reason I liked it was that I could provide a specialized service that I had Mm -hmm. specifically been trained to do in a community that had demonstrated need for said services. And it was a way that I could contribute without taking on a cultural identity that I was not even 100% sure was mine to take on. (laughs) So it was almost like contributing to a community at arm's length. And so uh, it was a a nice compromise um, from my perspective in all ways. Because that's Mm -hmm. one thing that I'm absolutely mortified of accidentally doing is uh, (laughs) what you often see in the media of people that make these wild ass claims about how, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, I, I'm, a, you know, related to like the Cherokee and and also Ojibwe mm-hmm. and also Dene somehow, and you're like, where is all this coming from? And I just don't exactly. want to. It's just like this this mortification that. I don't want to take on more than I think I am allowed to, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. in terms of an identity um, of indigeneity. And so, uh, um, and that's part of where I'm hoping to improve because the corollary of that, if you don't ex- like embrace that and you don't demonstrate it, then the people you're trying to help the most may not understand the true impact of what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is is one of my favorite things about task force is that when the kids come through, um, school groups and stuff, they'll come through and they'll see everybody. They'll see all this cool stuff. It's so busy and they're helping. And we'll get the kids to volunteer too. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they don't know that one of the veterinarians there, one of the doctors, is actually part of an indigenous group, the fact that they don't know that I think is not great. Um, it would be better if they were aware of that because then they could see that, hey, I could I could do something like that. There's somebody that's um, tangentially similar to me doing something really cool and to be a role model. Um, and so that's really where the idea of, of wanting to pursue a more um, concrete examples of, of how I can show indigeneity while still being respectful. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, decides if I hold an eagle feather, now I'm super indig. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I also think it's important. I also don't, I want to show that um, to an extent, you know, I think uh, it's easy to hide behind the whiteness, as racist as that sounds. And the most interesting thing is um, when I started to try to identify a bit more as uh, Indigenous um, was when I actually experienced racist microaggressions. And uh it's almost like a light switch. 
And it's mm-hmm. it's why I think it's one of the reasons why Métis are are um, it's it really is survival mode to mm-hmm. hide behind your whiteness because as soon as you mention it, it's mm-hmm. absolutely uncanny. Like you can see perceptions yep. change. Like you can literally see how your worth like literally drops on a scale. <laughs> And I 100% agree. It's insane. Cuz mm-hmm. like especially cuz I I do present and look extremely white. And so when I say that uh I'm AT and then I procure a card that shows it, mm-hmm. there is a perceptible difference with how people will talk to you, interact with you mm-hmm. and the things that they say to you. So yeah. it's crazy. Don't say, I'm 156 Cree or whatever <laughs> and it's like yeah. People always say that to me. Like when I talk about like indigenous things, they're always oh like, Oh my God, the well, first thing well, they like, say is like, well, I have a cousin. I'm pretty sure that was native. Yes. I'm pretty sure and we've I'm got like, Indians in there somewhere. I'm like, Jesus, that's not what that's like I'm the aiming most for at all. Thing you yeah, can say to it's me. horrible. It and feels bad. <laughs> like the thing is, Savannah, like growing up, like, and I totally empathize and connect with what you're saying. And it's awful because you and I can both white present. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's lots of people who can't and mm-hmm. they can't get away from that racism yeah. and that sort of thing, obviously. But, and then like, even me growing up, like in high school and those sorts of things, like as soon as I'd start talking about it, like my friends would make racist jokes, like, Oh, hundred um, percent. It's like in microseconds. So racist. Like, yeah. It's and so then, fast that it comes out. And then like, you're kind of saying like, I had no indigenous role models in veterinary medicine. We didn't even have a veterinarian in my town. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like it, there's no role model for me. So to be able to obtain the privilege to have an accurate mentor mm-hmm. and then get into vet school, you have to present white and give mm-hmm. a part of mm-hmm. your identity mm-hmm. and who you are. And I have the ability to do that, you know, yeah. and is that a good thing? absolutely not no you know (laughs) and that i can yeah 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 pretend to be that way like i don't think that's good when lots of people don't have the option to do that yep and but you're right because i was able to do that i can set an example and i can make change within our fields so Mm -hmm. that other people who don't have that privilege can obtain a dvm if they want to or whatever you know what i mean 100 percent. we're totally on the same page with that and that's uh, when I presented a talk to the first-year students at uh, WCVM, um, the way that I opened up my speech was that I'm a coward because it's easy to hide <laughs> as being white. Super yeah. easy. Very, very easy. And mm-hmm. I said it was part of um, it, part of why I want to attempt to uh, claim some of that culture is exactly what you said. I want to do the hard work of... It's, you know, it would be too easy to pretend it's not a thing and just mm-hmm. go on your merry way. But I think I'd be doing a disservice, especially when I have benefited in some ways from having that Indigenous status. And I think mm-hmm. I need to, you just need to, you know, you got to pull up your big girl panties and mm-hmm. accept that if you're going to make those claims, <laughs> it's it's going to come with some baggage. Yeah, And I think that's really the main driving force as to why I would want to try to solidify an Indigenous uh, presentation at all is mm-hmm. to take on some of that baggage so that you can then start doing some of the work that I think needs to be done. Because you're right, we're in a very unique position where, and that's something I've noticed, I don't know, this is, might be controversial, but I've noticed that many high-profile um, Indigenous people typically are, uh, they do appear more white. Mm-hmm. And they do, yeah. ha- and they come from backgrounds that are not necessarily very traditional. And yeah. I think that's for uh, so many reasons. I mean, it, it has to do with so many things like socioeconomic, um, mm-hmm. 
a lot of uh, racist barriers that are within many of their institutions, and it's easier to navigate those things. Um, but I also it, it also by the same token, it it's nice to see people that way because it. it sh- when you come out and say that, yes, you're something like Métis rather than pretending you're just white, um, you can do that work because you are in that uh, that that balance between the two worlds. And then to act as a bridge is really, mm-hmm. I think, a, a absolutely fascinating concept. And I think it's hard to do. And I want to do it in a very respectful way. Mm-hmm. And that's where the imposter syndrome comes in because you're like, I don't... It's am I am I right in doing this? Am I allowed well, to do that? Thing. But it's it's a sign of intelligence that you know that you don't have the same lived experience mm-hmm. as someone mm-hmm. who's not white presenting or who has grown up on a reserve mm-hmm. versus like mm-hmm. a more urban center or something like that. You know, like there's all these factors that kind of go into that. Um And I think to be a vet, you have to be privileged. Like there's no way to get into vet school or go through the educational process without having some privilege. Absolutely. um, Or actually a lot of privilege, especially to get into the, to the DVM. And I, I think it's just really sad that it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even with the equity seats, you have to be quite privileged yep. um, to even obtain an equity seat, which is defeating the point of the equity seat. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I actually didn't, I didn't actually apply for that seat the first time I applied because I felt like mm-hmm. I didn't deserve it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I did the, and uh, the reason I did the second time I applied was because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to say, look, this is who I am and I want to do this on my own merits and I want to mm-hmm. uh, start doing the hard work instead mm-hmm. of pretending it's not a thing. It's just, it's very systemic though. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the ways that I'll try to explain to people is like, just think of it like, um, how are you supposed to achieve an excellent grade point average when you start off in a situation where you don't have food security? You know, mm-hmm. like, how are you supposed to excel in school when you can't even feed yourself? Mm-hmm. Or how can you... Um, or house yourself in a new yeah, city disconnected from your community exactly. and culture. Like, like <laughs> yeah. how how are you supposed to excel in those types of conditions? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's where a lot of our work going forwards is going to have to be targeting is is figuring out how to improve it from, um, from really the ground up. And uh, I hate bringing it back to task force, but that's one of the things I appreciate about it is the fact that we bring kids yeah. in to the clinic and mm-hmm. have them volunteer and have them involved. We have some kids that I've seen them grow up from like – you know, grade school to graduating high school, and it's and it's so wonderful to see them involved, um, helping with the these community initiatives, and it's just wonderful to see them going on to like post secondaries and stuff like that, and um, you know, I think really that's where it, it has to be is we have to focus on on the youth and giving them the best opportunities that we can, and that's really probably the only way we're going to affect long term change. No, I agree, and it's I think that people can definitely do it right, like mm-hmm. if they're motivated. It's just that I think that the educational systems and my, I have a lot of problems with the vet school, but whatever. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think the big thing. <laughs> That'd be like, a whole got, new topic we could probably yeah, talk about yeah. for sure. Um, but like the thing is like I, when I got into vet school, there was no community support. Mm-hmm. There was nothing for me as an indigenous person. Like, and it's just, it makes the process so much more difficult. And That's why I experienced most of the racism that I've actually encountered, honestly. <laughs> right. 100%. Like, and then 
all these people are just so science minded well, and, and also very socioeconomic. You know, yeah, like as soon as exactly. you as soon as you try to bring up like even just during it was just so many little things that add up. I mean, you're just having these mm-hmm. discussions where you'd be doing a case study or something, and you're working through it, and people are like, "Oh, we need to do an MRI," and I'm like, "How about we just do some pain meds or euthanize?" And then they look at you like you're a monster. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you're like, but I don't think you understand coming from a lower socioeconomic group, that right. would be reasonable. It's reasonable. Yeah. And they just don't understand yeah. that you wouldn't have $3,000 to throw around. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I think that that comes back to like the kind of veterinary care that comes from an, indi- an indigenous worldview and like, like having role models that kind of fit into that instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. having role models who want to, who look down on people from lower tax brackets and who can't pay for mm-hmm, treatments mm-hmm. and who can't do that sort of stuff. And then your role model is someone who gets mad at stuff like that when you're like, I don't know, I think it's fine. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it makes it difficult. I think, um, I think that's what adds extra stress to me trying to um, claim a Métis viewpoint is that I really like, I know that I should be setting a good example and it's just really stressful because you start thinking like, <laughs> Why am I a good example? I'm not a good example. <laughs> I do so many bad things. I'm not perfect. I can't. Yeah, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I think that's part of the the stress of it as well. Is that mm-hmm. uh, it, it's all it's all self imposed. Obviously, like any good mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, it's 100 percent self imposed. I really appreciate that you're willing to play ball and uh, um, feed little bits and pieces of uh, adding some culture to our day, which I think is great. Like I love that we do that. I think it's. Uh, um, a fantastic way to go about it. Well, and it doesn't feel overbearing. I hope where it's like no. you must teach me all of your ways. No, it, like <laughs> you said, like it makes me happy because I think that my Métis identity is a huge, huge part of my life. And like when my grandpa was alive, he was the most important thing in my life, mm-hmm. and he was the one who kind of taught me about that and my heritage and my lineage, and to be proud of who I was and mm-hmm. to be proud of our people. Um, And I think that, oh, I'm getting upset now. I think that, I think that culture and language and um, community is the foundation of life. And Mm -hmm. once you disconnect from that, um, you see increased suicide rates, you see increased Mm -hmm. drug use, um, Mm -hmm. other sorts of abuse, which is why like in indigenous communities, like everything is so community and culturally focused. And Mm -hmm. when there's a disconnect from that, you see problems. So I I think it's really good for me to stay grounded in that, like Mm -hmm. through work. And one of the reasons why I came to work with you guys is because like Mm -hmm. I said before, like I had never worked with another indigenous vet really until Mm -hmm. I met you. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's not very many. (laughs) No, it's support in the worldview and like support and cultural value and stuff like that, which which makes me happy and like makes me feel mm-hmm. like I can actually do this job mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. living in a world of that kind of more privileged Eurocentric um, kind of ideology that most veterinarians have. I think it'd so. be very soul crushing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it'd be very difficult. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> it wouldn't be a good time. I feel like you wouldn't be and same with me. Like I think if I went to a practice like that, I wouldn't thrive. Mm-hmm. They'd probably fire my ass. Let's be honest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just too different. Like we just mm-hmm. we just think we just think differently, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, particularly this day and age, a lot of um, there's a lot of discussion about affordability of veterinary care and mm-hmm. and providing services to lots of different types of people, and and how uh, um, many of our 
health concerns, especially from a one health perspective, is often coming from interfacing between people of uh, animals in lower socioeconomic classes. I feel like um, our point of view is is needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we really need to be a good voice for this different type of view. Um, it's just hard to <laughs> it's just hard to take on that level of responsibility when it's uh, you're fighting with the imposter syndrome as mm-hmm. like why should why me why how am I so special why <laughs> should yeah. this really be me doing this um, and it's really funny because I don't think that about you at all I'm like oh yeah Dale's a hundred percent she's she's the role model everybody actually needs uh, I'm just I'm just here whatever for Savannah <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever <laughs> oh my god. I think what makes me proud of my heritage is that I come from a long line. Oh, I'm going to get so upset. I come from a long line of really strong like fighters and warriors and people who worked. Oh, I'm getting so upset. People who worked very hard. Um, and my grandpa faced so much racism. And mm-hmm. oh, I'm getting so upset. I'm so sorry. Um, no, that's okay. Because I know I know how important he was yeah. to you. And I know it's it's always hard for you. To, I know because it wasn't it wasn't that long ago that that you no. lost him. Yeah. Um, it's just like whenever I feel <laughs> like you know, like, ah, work sucks. Like, this has been a hard day for me. Like, um, Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling. Like, I just think of how hard my grandpa and my ancestors fought to put me, like, where Mm -hmm. I am. Um, Yeah. And gave up so much um, throughout their lives. And, like, to just allow me to be a doctor. Like, that's amazing. It is. I Um, think they would be very proud of you, Dale. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's just really cool because, like... (laughs) a large part of our community is like dancing and singing and being together and embracing each other and um, listening to stories and telling stories about hardships and good times and um, Mm -hmm. celebrating. And um, I think that um, just, I, I can feel like that um, power through me. And I Mm -hmm. just think that, um, we've just faced so much. So I'm just so proud that we're prospering, you know? Um, yeah. Um, we're making it. Yeah. We, we right? don't have to fake it till we make it. They did all the hard work for they us did. so that we can so, have a better life. Exactly. And I just feel really lucky to have been raised with like cultural practices and um, to have some knowledge of like some traditional medicines and hear the stories of um, just like, growing up and I don't know it's just I feel very privileged and I think that that's I think it's a very fashionable thing right now to want to be indigenous Mm -hmm. like because there's lots of really core values there that are really um great and I think that um I just I just feel very lucky yeah it gets really (laughs) gets really tricky you're right I think that's a great topic about how and, and that's something I want to avoid too is the fad yeah yeah. And that's why I want to avoid coming across as because I think you have to take the good with the bad. Yes, and you that's do. Where, that's yeah. where the fad comes in that they just want all these, you know, they want all the good qualities, but they don't want exactly. they don't want the bad parts. They don't right. want the racist parts. They don't want the parts of, um, you know, some, like the hardships that right. people overcome. Uh, they don't they don't want the bad with the good, just the good. Like my ancestors were constantly displaced and kicked off their land and put in uh, like bad places and mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. things taken away from them. And then like to come overcome all of that, um, 
it's just really crazy to me. And that's the thing, like people want the sense of community, I think, and that sort of stuff without realizing that there's been a lot of troubles in our history. Um, The struggle is what brought the community together, honestly. Yeah, exactly. And I think it still does today because, I mean, you get... I mean, Métis people are infamous for infighting, but yeah. as soon as you like have an outside force that's more yeah. threatening, they all band together and get yeah. they get hang, like hateful towards that outside yeah. force that's making them mad. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Métis yeah. people are feisty as heck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> get really fired up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. If you like the show, please leave us a five star rating and a review. And while you're at it, why not tell your friends about us? Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Check out the show notes to see where you can find us on social media and for more information on the Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet television series. The Wild Rose Vet podcast is hosted by Dr. Savannah Howe-Smith, produced by Trent Wilkie, Shirley McLean, Dylan Wirtz, Tanya Conigotier, and Valerie Oud-Marchand. Recorded by Ian Armstrong at Wolf Willow Studios. With original music by Wayne LaValle.